All right, everyone. We are here with author Michael Brent. That is right. The man, the myth, the legend, the guy that wants to be buried with a golden baby shoved up his butt. It's not buried. Get it right. It's not buried. For those of you who are listening, I am not a pervert. I just said it would be amusing when I die to have a friend who's like on speed dial. I can be all feeling the life leave me. I'll speed dial him. He knows what to do. He comes and shoves a solid gold baby up my butt. Why? Because then the CSI guys will have something really interesting to be like, what happened here? I'm just trying to bring some light to the world. I'm not a creepy gold baby pervert, okay? All right, continue. Fair enough. You were doing great. I I am. (laughs) But this leads me to my wonderful, awesome gift. So, because this has been an ongoing thing, it's not quite a golden baby, but (laughs) it is a golden Buddha. This is 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 as close to a baby as you can get and be a full-grown man. This is perfect. And I'm literally, this is going to go on my desk, and I'm going to put in an emergency shove. There it is. so cool. Yes. (laughs) I I found that, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to see you here, and i got to get it. And it's rounded too, so yes. it's not gonna like cause any tearing or chafing. No, no. It's, yeah, this is a perfect. You know, get enough lube, yeah. it should slide no, right no, in. No, 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 I'm dead. I don't need lube. They can do whatever. I'm just saying, like, this is. We'll stop now, but this is great. I'm actually, I'm oddly touched. Thank you so much. No, no problem. It, yeah, it's been something that's been going on for years, and, and yeah, I saw that. I'm like, yes, I have to get that. I'm never gonna find a golden baby, but I can find a golden Buddha that's small enough to be a baby. Oh my gosh! Thank, I'm serious, dude. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm all teary. That's awesome. Thank I made you. him tear. All right. So the new book out, Predators. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a bit about it. So Predators, it's it's about it's one of those that there's a story that's kind of an excuse for something else because the story is there's a safari and they go out into the middle of Africa and everything goes wrong and they end up with a group of survivors who are trekking across Africa while being hunted by a pack of hyenas who are. For anyone who doesn't know, the most physiologically and psychologically messed up animals alive. They are freaking terrifying. Um, and so I, I saw a documentary on hyenas a couple years ago, and I went, I'm going to write a scary book about that because they are scary. Um, but at, a couple years later, I realized it has to be a story because th- one of the interesting things about hyenas is it is a matriarchy. They're dominated by women. The yeah. lowest woman is acres higher than the highest man in the pack. And, um, and I realized I have to tell the story about um, women who are powerless, who've been abused and hurt by other people um, as the survivors and as the heroes. So it's, it's ultimately it's a story about women who are finding the strength to do what they must, not just to survive, but to rise above the horrible things that have happened to them and to save themselves and save other people. So I'm, I'm actually really proud of it. It's the first book where I've gotten beta readers have been sending me screenshots with just, this is where I started crying written across them, which was really nice. I mean, you're right about hyenas. I mean, even if you look at the Lion King, the, I, People are thinking, oh, that that was just comic relief. No, that was really showing how crazy and insane hyenas are. Um, And it is interesting that they are a matriarch. Where I mean, lions sort of are, but you don't really see it as much like you do with hyenas. Yeah. So the thing, this is the part that got me is they're a matriarchy. They also, the females have. They thought for a long time, scientists thought they were hermaphroditic because the females have what looks like a penis. And it's really just an enlarged part of their female anatomy. 
um, but they use that as a penis to dominate other hyenas. It makes them the only rape-proof uh, mammal in existence because if she's not cooperating, you can't get through that thing. And the thing that I, as soon as I saw this part in the documentary, I was like, oh, that's just messed up. So imagine a penis. Now imagine having a baby through a penis because that's how they do it. And basically, pretty much that part of them just sort of explodes every time they have a hyena cub. And, and then the documentary, it's like, first of all, half of the cubs are smothered in the birth process for obvious reasons. And then it says, and it takes up to, you know, it's always a British guy, and it takes up to three weeks for them to to heal and have to fully be co-op, you know, moving around again. I'm like, dude, three weeks after my penis explodes, I'm still not moving a whole lot, you know? So yeah, I just saw it. And I was like, that is a messed up from literally from inception to birth to death. This is the most terrifyingly awful animal alive. And since I write a lot of horror, I was like, so obviously I'm going to use that. <laughs> You know, in the grand scheme of things, you just have to wonder what was you know the creator I know, right? thinking when right. he created this animal because that is just insane. Right? Like, yeah, you go. So either I, if if it's just all genetics, and I'm not here to you know to proselytize for one point of view. If it's just you know the Big Bang happened and it's all sort of genetic accidents, you do look at some animals and go, well, that does that does look like an accident. So there's yeah. some logic to that. And then there's the God thing. It's like, so God, I. I just can't fathom where you were going with it. <laughs> it's like the platypus was the end of the fifth day, and he's like, I got these parts left over, so we'll just shove them on. Yeah, some animals are messed up, man. But, but again, the point of the book is really it's about the you find out that the real predators aren't the hyenas. They're the people in these women's lives that have changed them, and these women ultimately, they do have to figure out how to, to get past what's happened because we, we live in a world that's difficult. And being alive is being in pain to some extent. And one of the things that I love about horror is its ability to say, look, you're, you're in a scruddy, awful, tough existence, but if you push hard enough and if you work hard enough and if you run fast enough sometimes, you get through to the brighter part. And, and that's a super important thing that in today's day and age, we are very fast as a culture, I think, to try and find people who've been hurt and acknowledge their pain, which is super important. It really is. But I think what gets lost sometimes is the next part, which is where you say, now, you've been hurt, but I want you to know you're still strong. And so act strong. And, and we're there to help, but we also have to let people move past that moment of injury to shine again. And I, and I think we lose that sometimes. So being in the African savanna, uh-huh. hyenas chasing us, most horror stories, the key place you want to avoid is the basement and the attic. Right, right, right. I don't know why they never run out the front or back door or jump in the car and take off, go into the garage. You don't have an attic or a basement. So where is the place they want to avoid other than, of course, the hyenas? Well, they're told as as this starts happening, because um, they go on the safari, which is a good part of the book. There's is the safari because you have to understand what's actually happening for it to scare you. And when the hyenas start hunting them and it's apparent what's happening look hyenas are not like slow walkers they're not just going to kind of amble after them so they have a manner matter of minutes essentially to get from place to place and at one point it literally becomes one of them saying you run i'm going to be here and die and hopefully while they're eating me you'll have a couple extra minutes and so there's really no place to avoid because that's one of the key takeaways is like 
we are not an apex predator. We're, we're an apex predator by virtue of our mental prowess and our ability to put some things together. But left on our own, we're really weak. And the, uh, the African guide at one point, there's these animals everywhere. And she says, she, she says, do not run. And one of the people takes a step and she says, you can't outrun anything here anyways. So it's wasted energy. And the only thing that does run here is food. And so that's one of the most terrifying scenes is they are surrounded by these animals and their job is to not run. So there's no like, don't, you know, stay away from the basement, stay away from the attic. It is just, let's try and survive long enough to get to a place where we can barricade in for five minutes until the next horrible thing happens. No, I mean, that is, how do you do that? I mean, if it's like, don't run. I do you think you would have the presence of mind and the force of will in that situation no. to not do that? No, no, I'd be the, I, they would be like, oh, let's go to the one that smells strongly of urine. That would be me. I would be like, I might not run, but if I managed not to run, I'd be doing like that thing where you, you run in place really fast because you're so panicked. That would probably be me. Yeah, I, I, I used to be a really collected and calm individual in emergencies. And then I had kids and like my whole universe switched. So now when I see something bad happen, I just fall to pieces. <laughs> No, that definitely does that. I mean, or even the potential of something oh, bad yeah. going on. It's like the brain's already yeah. processing something bad's going to happen even though yeah. Yeah. You f- you're starting to freak out and your kids are like, what's wrong? Totally. And it's like, but that, what's wrong? I'm fine. Yeah. It, I, so when, when we were first married, or shortly after, um, my wife calls me and, sa- and was screaming on the phone. She was shrieking. She was in, in totally could not understand anything. Finally got out that something had happened to our daughter. And so, I, who was a month old, and I rushed home. Luckily, I was working literally a mile away that day, randomly. Usually, I was an hour and a half drive. So I rush over. It was at a friend's house, actually, and I come in, and there's blood everywhere. And it turned out um, this little girl, who was a friend of you know, my daughter's, um, had bitten my daughter on the face and, like, cleaved through her nose, essentially. Wow. And so my wife is freaked out the other mom's freaked out the toddler's freaked out my daughter of course is not having a great day and i immediately walk in and i'm like you know i am triage guy i said you be silent you grab the baby you run this way you get in the car and we were off and then fast forward 10 years 12 years i've got my youngest son and my wife um pulled down the the oven door to put something in you know some food in and he touches it he had crawled around the side. He was crawling, but he was at that part where he's learning to stand by putting his hands on yeah. something and pushing up. And he puts his hand, and I see it happening. He puts his hands directly on the inside of the oven door to push himself up. My wife doesn't see it. And all I could do, it, gone was, you do this, you do this. Now we're fine. I just screamed. I was incapable of any response but a scream. And if my wife turns towards me and she spun the opposite direction of our son. So he's still there because she's dealing with dad who's panicking. Um, and miraculously, he ended up totally fine. But that was where I was like, wow, I've really changed as a human. Like, I have lost my capacity as a dad to just say, let's be sensible about this. Because everything is a nightmare when you're a dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My daughter just turned 16. Yeah. So, and went on a date. That was horrible. Oh, my gosh. That, that, the day that I've been dreading for 16 years happened. Oh and, yeah, it's, yeah. My, when... When I had my first daughter, I had two daughters, and the first day the first one was born, I had a nightmare about dating. Oh, yeah. And my wife's like, she got kind of mad because we already had a son. She's like, why don't you act about this? Like, that's kind of, 
is that chauvinistic or you know she's more important or less important or what's that nice and, and i said honey that's a misconception my son's just as important they're equal in importance but the reality is if my son comes home and he's done something to some other girl that's changed her life to the worse i can just murder him because he's mine if my daughter comes home and something's been done to her i have to go to some other man's family and kill that man's son and it's just so much complicated that's the only reason and she laughed but it really is like we have this place for our daughters so i told my i i've done martial arts my whole life and i said I will keep my weaponry and stuff out of range, and my wife decorates, and that's an agreement we have. But when my daughters start dating, I'm gonna have a weapons case. It's gonna be in the front room. I'm gonna walk every guy next to it, and I'm gonna say, if you make any bad choices, I will give you the option which one of these goes in you. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, you, so uh, a neighbor of mine is actually in the military, and he took a scene from Justified. Daughter just turned 16, Boy walks in, first date, and he tosses a bullet at him. Uh huh. And he catches it and looks at it weird. He's like, if you're late, the next one's coming faster. <laughs> Needless to say, she was on time early. That's right. Yeah. I had a friend who, he was a big baseball fan, and he would come in and he invite the boys in. He had nine daughters, and I went, what a heart attack. And he invites the boys in, and he talks about team sports and, you know, being kind and playing with others and respecting them. And he would give them a little one of those like little mini baseball yeah. bats they give you at Dodger games or whatever. And he's saying, I want you to remember that while you're with my daughter. Treat, treat her as a member of your team, not as something under you, but beside you. Treat her with respect, with love, and know that if you don't, I have a bigger version of this and I will beat you to death with it. <laughs> and, I, and I saw him give that talk once. And I was like, holy crap, dude, you are hardcore. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> There has to be a horror story somewhere in there yeah. uh, to write. So you're still writing the horror. That seems to be your thing. Uh-huh. You have written fantasy. Do you enjoy the fantasy, or is this yeah. just the thing you like, the writing the horror? I, so I tell people I'm best known as a horror writer, but I've had success with fantasy and mystery and science fiction and paranormal, and um, I write horror the most partly because I understand it the most. My dad was a horror writer and a horror critic, and I grew up around it. And I also think it's the most powerful genre. It says the most important things. It, it tells us that there are darknesses and that if we push past them, we will move to light. And that's like the most important lesson anybody can learn is if you push through and do your best, there's good waiting on the other side. That's the hope of the human condition. Yeah. And horror is the thing that uniquely says that. I also write it because if I take too long of a break from horror, that's the one where I get the most emails from fans being like, you need to write another horror novel. Um, but just this year, I've written one horror. I've written one middle grade. I've written one romance um, under a pen name. It's not out yet. Um, and my next one's going to be a YA mystery. So I'm all over the place. But yeah, horrors, I'll do like a horror and then a this and then a horror and then a this and then and a horror and this. And also horror just tends to feed my family the best. So. I'm trying to imagine a uh, middle grade book from you, <laughs> oh, just because I've read all the other stuff. I don't know. For some reason, it just boggles my mind, a middle grade book. Well, so my wife um, walks in one day, is how I started writing middle grade stuff, and she says, I love you very much. I love your stories. I love your books. But if you don't write something that I can read without turning on all the lights and putting the cops on speed dial, I will divorce you. And so I went to her bookshelf, and she likes Harry Potter, and she likes that kind of world building and, and that fun. So I wrote a series called The Billy Saga, 
which is Billy Messenger of Powers, Billy Seeker of Powers, and then the last book is Billy Destroyer of Powers. And what I found, though, was every good story has horror in it. The first line of the first book is Billy Jones was only 14 years old the first time he died. And then the second book is the second time Billy Jones died was much worse than the first. And the third book starts with the third time Billy Jones died, the entire world died with him. And uh, good stories are about the possibility of loss and sometimes the actuality of loss. And then the real story comes with what happens after. And that's, that's horror. So, yeah, I just tell stories, but they do have a dark edge to them. And I think that's why people like them, because they, I love, like, uh, happy, shiny endings, you know. Yeah. But I also think we look at a shiny ending and go, but that's not real. Because most of us have, we have shining moments. But then the very next moment, something hurts us. And we live in a world that's full of this barrage of difficulty. And so melancholy endings are always my favorite because it's like, look, I didn't get everything, but I got good things. And that's enough. No, I, I have to agree because when you get that big shiny ending, which we used to get in older movies, mm-hmm. it didn't seem as impactful. Yeah. Yeah. But now we kind of get that broken ending where it's we got a little bit good, but not everything we wanted. I think that's more realistic, at least for us. Yeah. Well, and even in the old movies, I mean, you talk about anytime someone says like the top 10 old movies movies ever they're going to get movies like Casablanca not a happy ending Citizen Kane not a happy ending uh, Gone with the Wind not a happy ending you know but they're all the, all of those movies are ultimately they're horror movies too they're about redemption you know they're about losing things and then finding what's important and finding a way to continue forward with that and sometimes the important thing that they end up with is not the thing they've been trying to get the whole movie because they realize that's that's not really what does matter um African Queen, great Humphrey Bogart yeah. movie. Man, that, that's got some downer crap in it, you know? Um, and ultimately, it's about kind of a roguish, selfish person learning to move beyond his tiny world. Um, so, yeah, those kinds of movies, those kinds of stories, they are always the powerful ones. I, I really defy anyone to say, this is just a shiny, happy story about happy, happy people that has stood the test of time. They just, they don't. They're, they're momentary and they're fun and we need them because sometimes you just need to sit down with a book and, and just smile and sometimes you need to just go to a movie and just be happy and those are super important movies and books and stories too but they're not the ones that we make a part of our uh, psychological genetics they don't become our DNA they're the thing that we use as kind of life support between moments I like that so, life support between moments. Um, no, that's, that's really good because I, I have to agree. Um, those books, I mean, growing up, I never really gravitated towards those books that were very lighthearted and fun. There was always some, something. Yeah. That there was loss or just moments where you just had to stop reading, go collect your thoughts, and mm-hmm. come back to finish the story because you're just like, what do I do now? What, I, what just happened? Yeah, what yeah. happened? I mean, I remember long ago reading the Dragonlance series mm-hmm. with um, by Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss. Weiss when, yeah. you know, uh, Dragons of Winter Night. Yeah. When Sturm dies, because up to that Spoiler. point, it's, yeah, and he died, and he dies in a way that matters. It, it's a, it's a very so epic heroically. way. It's very heroic. It matters, but even then, I mean, everything I'd read up to that point, you never had that. And just to read that for the first time as a teenage, young teenager, preteen, 
and just it's just like what yeah and I had to go away for like a day yeah, but and but you can recollect that perfectly oh, because yeah. it, and I had a moment like that I was home from school I was sick and I'm I don't know I'm I'm nine I think eight or nine I'm too young for this I'm reading a translation of the original po- Pinocchio which is a big book yeah and it and, and not like the Disney movie. no which is dark already but Pinocchio rolls over at one point and wakes up and his feet are on fire as a wooden boy and he loses his feet and I'm a freaking eight or nine year old kid weeping in my bed my parents come and they see Pinocchio and there is a picture of a puppet on fire in that book you know and yeah it, I'll remember it forever it was the it was really one of the first moments where you know a story stepped in and said bad things are going to happen to everybody even the heroes um, but again Pinocchio he he moves forward he doesn't just lay there and die he finds a way to survive and to thrive eventually um, and those same with the Dragonland stories yeah. e- not all the good guys win in the Dragonland stories and if they did all win it wouldn't be very powerful yeah. no it definitely wouldn't and I, I I think that's where like even Star Wars they kind of changed that that yeah. first film was like oh yeah everyone wins and move forward then I think Luke has kind of caught on to that and then Luke locked his hand and all yeah. this other crazy stuff started happening uh, and I think that's when, every, uh, yes, everyone loved it when it first came out, but I think that's when it became more, I guess, ingrained in pop culture because yeah. we saw even these guys, bad things happen. Yeah, when you see your, when you see your heroes succumb. And, and the Star Wars ones are interesting because ultimately, you know, Han Solo's dead. Sorry, spoiler, everybody <laughs> knows it. Um, Luke Skywalker's dead. Leia, obviously we have problems Obi-Wan with her appearance. Yeah, and, and part of what's really... Um, most upsetting about those deaths is it's not that character who died in a way it's the actor because we look at this Luke Skywalker was this 20 year old kid yeah. and now he's an old man and old men die yeah. and all of us who grew up and like my first movie was Star Wars I was two years old and it came out and I'm two and I watched it and so this image of the ultimate hero they've become my old men and there's something very um tender and very scary about that because man they were my age and now they're that and that means I'm going to be that and boy I better make the next couple of decades count because eventually every superhero comes to an end every single hero ever always has to come to an end Um, and that that kind of is what makes what they do matter because like there's going to be a moment where you don't get do-overs anymore Um, so you have to be careful with your choices no I agree so Predators is out. Mm-hmm. What's next? Because, well, you seem to be a book-making machine. Yeah. Next, I am working on um, The Sword Chronicles, the third book in The Sword Chronicles, which is my mom's favorite series of mine, so she's really mad that I'm not done with it, and I am writing it because I am terrified she's going to get really angry. Um, so I'm going to finish that. That's going to be... The first one was... Sorry. Uh, Sword Chronicles, Child of the Empire is the first one second one is Sword Chronicles Child of Sorrows and the third one is going to be Sword Chronicles Child of the World um, and it's really broadening it out and it's going it, to the l- very last second of the second book changes every single thing that's ever happened in the series so it's um, it's challenging because I rewrote the rules at the last second or I revealed something that made everyone go oh crap I didn't understand anything that was happening um, so that's fun and then after that 
I have, I'm going to be doing a retelling of Sherlock Holmes from a high school senior point of view. Nice. Yeah. I like both those. You know, and I, I like when, you know, even in movies or in books where they do yank that curtain and suddenly yeah. you're like, what, what, wait a minute. Yeah. I know I was paying attention, but I didn't catch any of this. Yes. Um, that's like uh, The Prestige. Yeah. Oh. That was an amazing film. And at the very end, I'm just like, whoa, yeah. I, that's my favorite type of film or book. That should have won the Academy Award for screenplay that year for, yeah. for best adapted screenplay. Um, yeah, I love, the thing is, there's a difference between a twist and a revelation. A twist is like they bring in new information and it's just something new to deal with and it's a big oh crap, you know. And a revelation is where the, the, the storyteller says, here's one more bit of information, and once you look at it, you will be forced to re-examine everything that's happened and realize that you came to the wrong conclusion at this point. And the best revelations are the ones where you look back and you go, why did I not see this before? Because it was all there. He's been telling me since the very first scene or the very first page um, one of my books has a huge twist, and I utterly reveal it on the first page, wow. if you know what you know, if you're looking for it. So, and that's part of the fun too, is building in those those clues, so that when people go back for the second time or the third time, they're like, "Oh, I'm so stupid," and it makes the author look really smart too. Yeah. Like, like yeah, I'm, I totally just came up with that instantly, and it didn't take me months of figuring out or anything because I'm so smart. <laughs> then yeah, that happens and editing and all that fun stuff yeah well you know what's funny is like all oh, the author's so smart and i go well, it's kind of a cheat because like if i write a movie and and it's got a big reveal or a big twist and i was like whoa and i go it seems like a huge amazing smart thing because i forced you to take it all in and do that in a minute and a half and i spent three months writing that movie <laughs> so we're about out of time we're gonna wrap this up uh so you can go back down and sell some more books what is one piece of advice you would give anyone out there that's thinking about writing or is currently writing but struggling? Oh, okay. So here's the advice I give. I, you know, I'll talk to schools and groups. And they're like, oh, we want to be a professional writer. You want to be happy. That's what you really want. Um, the best case scenario for a writer is to have a job that they enjoy and write on the side because then you can write what you want. You can write whenever you want it. And if something big happens with it, great. But if not, you've still enjoyed that whole process. Um, as soon as you become a professional writer, like full time, this is 99% of the time, it's not a fun job. It's a job. And if I don't have a day where I feel like doing it, I do it anyways, because it's my kid's food money, you know? Um, so anyone who's thinking, you know, thinking about becoming a writer, you are a writer by virtue of living in this social media saturated world, in a world with the kind of communications we have, everybody who can write is a writer and is constantly telling stories. And, the, and so don't get so hung up on, I wanna be published, I wanna be a millionaire, I wanna be JK Rowling, don't get hung up on that. Take a real look at yourself and say, what are the things that I can do that are gonna make me happy? And know that writing is absolutely going to be part of them you can't avoid it all you can do is figure out the best way to put it in your life and for some people me I would I would be thrilled to be a normal person like to have a normal job I really would and I'm the only writer I know professional writer who has utterly failed at every attempt at being a normal person you know 
most people are like, oh, I don't want to do this. I want to be a writer. I'm like, I really, I like writing. I love telling the stories, but I, I would love to have more security and normalcy for my family. Um, and it just hasn't ever worked out for me. Um, so, so don't go thinking, I want to be a writer. Think, I want to have an enjoyable experience on this little trip I'm taking. And what's the best way I can do that? Writing's going to be a part of it. And maybe it is the backbone of your whole journey. And maybe it's just something you do for fun once in a while. And those are the happiest people are, are the ones that know that writing isn't the end-all be-all. It's a part of you. I like that. All right. So for those of you, uh, if you have or haven't, uh, check out Michael Brent Collings' uh, books. There are plenty out there. Um, horror, fantasy, middle grade, you name it. <laughs> uh, just do a, jump on Amazon, look up Michael Brent Collings. You can also do a Google search. You will see his mug along with several, well, I, I shouldn't say several, a plethora of books. <laughs> uh, you know, much like uh, Three Amigos. That's right. There is what you say? There's a plethora, plethora of books. Yes. yes. So, and maybe, maybe, even on his social media page, you'll see an image of the gold baby. I am posting. <laughs> I am totally, I won't do it tonight because I'm exhausted, but this is going on my Facebook and I will tell the story. Awesome. Super excited. All right. So with that said, folks, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>